Hey, thank you so much for gathering with us wherever you are and whomever you are with. Uh, we're grateful for the opportunity that we have to continue to gather together in this way in community groups with one another, really experiencing church at a more practical level than we ever have before. I have been reaching out to and, and hearing so many stories from those who are leading community groups and in community groups, uh, just story after story of what God is doing. I want to share one with you. I reached out to the Russells, Scott and Ashley Russell, and Ashley responded with this. She said, hey, it was really good meeting outside at our apartment complex. Some people were sitting nearby and actually joined us in prayer at the end and asked us to pray for them. Really gave a new meaning to community. Come on, that's awesome. Just people walking by and being able to pray with one another. And, and who knows where that's going to end up. But please, again, we ask that you would find and form a community group. If you need help doing that, reach out to us, info at lifechurchvirginia.com, and we'll do everything we can to plant you in a community group in this season. All right, let's jump into our message this week. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus said to them, hey, follow me, and I will make you. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. And the words of Paul exhorting the church at Rome. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to gather in this way. We ask for your help uh, just, we just speak the name of Jesus over our world, over our community, and uh, we just thank you so much that the Word is living and active. And so, Lord Jesus, please speak to me and through me. Listen through each of us that so we may hear your Word and respond according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Well, Thanksgiving has come and gone, and, and we're in it now, aren't we? We are in it, the holiday season. A deep breath, because it's here. It's here with all of its trappings. It's here with its deluge of emotions, memories, and, and all that memories tend to bring with them. And oh, by the way, it has with it this time, our holiday season, a, a certain tinge of post-election, apocalyptic pandemic uh, taste to it, doesn't it? Life is really full. Life continues to be really, really fast. And, and then we shove holidays like this into it. Even in a safely distanced, semi-shutdown, but certainly not normal circumstance, these days they're freighted with a lot. Such a harmful pace to the soul is nothing new. Humanity has been dealing with difficult dynamics of just simply too much for a really, really long time. Consider our focus for this series of imagination and practice. David, uh, shepherding. I mean, all that it entailed in shepherding. All of the family stuff, the dysfunction, come on somebody, that he has in his own life. I love that the scriptures detail the family dysfunction even in David's life. His father forgets him out on the field. Eliab and Abinadab are rude and, and devaluing of who he is. Just family being family. 
David goes through the process of being chosen to be king, be anointed to be king, and then back out to the fields with you, and his subsequent navigation of the progress and, and what that all feels like. And yes, promises are great, but what does the purpose of it all look like? He had to navigate all of those things. David and his, his confrontation with Goliath and one battle after another battle after another battle after another raid, all of those things going on. The palace intrigue when he was just a minstrel in Saul's court, when he ascended to the throne, when there was rebellion when he was on the throne, when he took back the throne, when he was passing on the throne, just even ruling a nation, all that that entails. Life being run at a harmful pace to the soul, weighted with pressures that are overwhelming, is not new. This is something that we as humans have been leaning into for our very existence. But there are two moments really operating under one reality that I want to speak to today. 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26. In 1 Samuel 24, Saul is returning from following after the Philistines, and he's told, hey, David is up here. David has been anointed king, and, and Saul's out to try and kill him. And he's going out looking for him, looking for David. He's in the place of the wild goat's rocks. Sounds like a fun place to hang out if you ask me. But he's looking for David. And verse 3 of chapter 24 of 1 Samuel, it says, Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Hey, Here's the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give you your enemy into your hand. Saul had gone into the cave to quite simply go to the bathroom. He's gone in and he's taken his coat off. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. After David does this, he realizes, Oh, I, sh I shouldn't have done that. That was outside the realm of what a man after God's own heart would do. Even though Saul was coming to kill him and David has this argument with his soul. Verse 8, Afterward David arose when Saul left and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My lord the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave, and some told me to kill you, but I spared you. And they have this exchange where David calls Saul a father, and, and Saul calls David a son, and this really emotionally connecting moment where they go back and forth and have really some honest affection shared. But the fact I want to focus on is that David spared Saul. David had Saul in his hands and he didn't do anything. In chapter 26, we see again, it says in verse 1, Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill? So Saul arose and went to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 men chosen of Israel to seek David in the wilderness. It says, And then Saul encamped in the on the hill of Hakalah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that David came after him in the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, with Abner the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai the son of Zeruiah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. 
And so David and his men crept into Saul's camp. Again, had Saul in his hand to kill him and take the throne that he was chosen for, that he was anointed to take. In verse 11, as he's there and able to do what is in his hand to do, the Lord forbid that I should put on my hand against the Lord's anointed. These are David's words. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it. And again, as David gets away to a safe distance, he and Saul have this exchange. Again, it's a bit of an awkward exchange if you want to go and read it in 1 Samuel 26 and how they were speaking with other and affectionately honoring and relating with each other. But the point I want to make is that even though Saul was in David's hand, David didn't make that determination. David ceased. David stopped. There are lots of things that we can draw out from these specific scriptures. And I'm sure many of the things that I've read are reading your soul, so to speak, even as I've described them. But I want to focus on this one thing those two stories share, those narratives, those moments share. And it's David's stopping. We see David... Though a moment is made, the stage is set for him to kill Saul, not once, but twice. We see David cease. We see him get to a place and stop. Even when there's a right that is technically on his side, when a good and beneficial thing is before him, he does not. Now, I want to be honest David is not perfect in this way of ceasing. As we know in 1 Samuel 11 and 12, he did not cease from Bathsheba. He did not cease from ending Bathsheba's marriage and taking Bathsheba as his own. But such is the way, let's be honest today, is the way of our intimacy with God, the flow of creation trying to follow after Creator. We do so oftentimes in fits and starts. That's why I love Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23 and 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Church, we need the fresh mercies of God every morning because we use them all up the day before. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Paul speaks to how the grace of God is sufficient, how his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Don't you know that Jesus knew Peter was fallible when he said, follow me and I'll make you, as we've been reading for several weeks now. I want to have a conversation about starting to stop. If you're taking notes today, the title of our conversation is Starting to Stop. There's this passage that many of us know that speak to the fruit of the Spirit. Paul is writing to the church of Galatia in verse 22 of chapter 5 in Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. He rounds it all out with self-control. Against such there is no law, he writes, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, cut short, cut off the flesh with its passions and desires. Within the full context of this passage, verse 16, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, which speaks to process, which speaks to journey, which speaks to movement, you are not under the law. Now, the works of flesh are evident. And Paul goes on to detail, and I'll read them in a moment. And I would suggest that most of the things that are the works of the flesh don't have ceasing. It's just go, go, do, do. Just let it ride, let it ride. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We see in that list, the list of the flesh, a lack of ceasing. In the list of the fruit of the Spirit, we hear and feel a ceasing, an ability to stop. We should all start to stop. If we want our marriages not just to make it, but be fun, be healthy relationships, actually be sources for ourselves one to another rather than just draining the life out of us. And not to mention our our marriages to look as God names them. It is the marriage context that Jesus often speaks to, excuse me, that Paul often speaks to as the kingdom of God. He defines it in comparison as such. Look at Ephesians. If we desire decent blood pressure without medication, we should start to stop. If we have any inclination towards any real relationship with our kids, we should start to stop. If we really truly care about mental health, not just ourselves, but everybody around us, we should start to stop. And most vitally, we should start to stop because God says so. In Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, number four is that we would remember the Sabbath. Now, anytime somebody mentions the Ten Commandments, I know it can get a little bit dicey because the Ten Commandments come with a lot of baggage, a lot of thou shalt not and don't do this and don't touch that. But remember, the Ten Commandments are given to the nation of Israel not to make sure they don't do a certain number of things, but so they can live a different life. The nation of Israel was in bondage in Egypt for generations. And so God delivers to them its Ten Commandments so they can learn how to live not as commodities, but to really live in community, to value life together with one another. Understand the Ten Commandments and and living in those ways don't earn you the ability to move from bondage to freedom but they show us how to live, not in bondage to one another, but how we live in freedom to God. Per those Ten Commandments, and as we respond to those things, if we see God as omnipotent, distant, coercive, and and powerful, we will see such frames as the Ten Commandments. We will see them and feel them as confining, controlling, and in some way crippling. But If we see God as fathering, as influential, as inviting and and intimate and wanting to be with us, we will see such frames as creative, as constructive, and even catalyzing in our own lives. That fourth commandment that I mentioned that says, hey, remember the Sabbath, the ultimate stop. 
It's the only commandment that starts with remember. Because honestly, we're apt to forget it. And not just forget it because we don't recall it, but forget it because we don't think it's really useful. It's also the longest and inclusive commandment. It's the commandment that's in its fulcrum position, where the first three commandments are dealing with our relationship with God. Then you have the Sabbath commandment, and the last several commandments are detailing how we are to relate to other people. It is the commandment that acts as Jesus' response when the, the people come to him and ask, hey, what's the most important thing? And Jesus responds in Mark 12, hey, that you love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you love others as yourselves. He is detailing the Ten Commandments, and the Sabbath is what holds those things together. I want to read that as I've referenced it. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You've got to keep reading because oftentimes people just juxtapose the Sabbath as something that is holy as a religious entity. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, do you think it's trying to get a point across here? Or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates? For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In Mark uh, chapter 2, Jesus makes a statement, Hey, the Sabbath isn't made for man, but the man is made for for Sabbath, detailing the fact that this is not a law that's put in a place, but it's meant to bring rest and be relationship one to another. Imagine, just imagine, getting ahead on that project or some whatever is not as productive as you getting rest. Imagine, stopping is the thing that will help you best get started. Imagine, God's perspective on your taking possession of promises is better than yours. As opportunity today, I want to challenge us all to Sabbath this week. If you can carve out a whole day and celebrate God's holiness by doing or not doing what is healthy and beautiful and desirable for you, go for it. But if you're like any of the rest of us and the mere thought of clearing a whole day would be enough to just throw everything entirely off the cliff, just I would ask you to do this. Don't tap out completely. I get it. Swiping a schedule clear and removing something so you can have nothing, so you can truly rest and find Sabbath, just find some ways that you can start to stop. Start with your smartphone. Maybe when you go to bed, don't let it be the last thing you look at and the first thing you look at when you wake up. Smartphone. Next time you're in a line at a restaurant or a bank or anywhere waiting for a doctor's appointment, try not to look at your smartphone. Don't always be doing. Start stopping somewhere. Let's get real personal, shall we? Next time you go to the bathroom, leave your smartphone outside of the bathroom. Just for a few moments, don't be taking something in or putting something out. When you're driving, keep the radio off. Just drive. Just think. Just take a moment. 
Get up five minutes earlier, but don't start your day. Go to sleep five minutes earlier, but don't go to sleep yet. Just be. Find some ways, some places in your life where you can start to stop. And obviously for our practice this week, I want to encourage everybody to Sabbath. And again, maybe that's not a whole day, but somewhere in your week and maybe even in certain little pockets of your day, find ways that you can start to stop. Let me leave you with this benediction. May we start stopping. May our adherence to God's words and our forcefully letting go of decided control manufacturing enable us to embrace our eternal now. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better.